When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday night. Mr. Mark Daly, Mr. Mark Hamilton uh, bringing you a very special and unique episode of the show. Mark, first of all, before we get into it, how was your weekend? How did you enjoy that very, shall we say, eventful Grand Prix? I thoroughly enjoyed the outcome. Put it that way. I had a minute of panic. I had a minute (laughs) of fear and I'll share this and people will listen to this in a couple of minutes, but I didn't actually see the quote unquote as you put it, the incident live. I went to the washroom, came back and saw a car on top of another car. And as soon as I saw it, I had this horrible, desperate sinking feeling that we were going to revisit that experience of the two weeks out of Silverstone. Fortunately, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but the outcome of the race was fantastic. We had redemption for Ricardo. We had a revenge drive all weekend for Valtteri Bottas and the championship is still wide open, which I think is all that really matters at the end of the day. We just want to see a title fight, two title fights that go down to the very last lap of the very last race. And as every weekend passes, it seems more and more like that's going to happen. Yeah, which is bizarre because, I mean, I think going back to even the first couple of races of the season, we kept saying even then, well, let's just hope that uh, this battle keeps going on throughout the rest of the year. And so far to date, it's uh, proven that way. I mean, there's been more than... I think any of us expected, uh, you know, controversy this year. We've had it in bucket loads. Of course, we've seen lots of it again today, and I'm sure there'll be that will be the hot topic over the next several days. I'm sure we'll have plenty of updates come Thursday night when we do the regular weekly show. But we wanted to actually kind of tee this one up because we're going to transition here away from just the two of us. We actually sat down with our really good friend Tim Haraney uh, from TSN, uh, TSN Sports. That is, he uh, invited us onto his show the TSN Racing Pod uh, a little earlier this evening, and Tim has kindly uh, agreed to share the the audio with us so we could uh, cross uh, uh, post it here on our channel as well so you guys could listen to it because we were going to come back and record a separate show, but Tim's been on our program a couple of times and we love the insight and the knowledge and everything that uh, Tim brings to the table. We thought, well, if we come back and do something that's 30 minutes long or 45 minutes long and just kind of wrap it up, we didn't feel like we'd be doing the, 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 the race and the whole entire weekend justice because the discussion that we had with the three of us with Tim Haraney was just uh, that good. So this is it in its entirety. And if you want to follow Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Tim Haraney. And if you want to check out all of his work, you can do that by going to tsn.ca forward slash tsn dash racing dash pod. And you can find uh, Tim's uh, feed there and you can search him up on all the podcast uh, platforms like Apple, Spotify, all those good places. Mark, anything you want to say or should we just uh, hand it over? 
over to well, kind of hand it back to ourselves and Tim, of course. But it was a it was a real pleasure talking. to No, Tim I think I'm good. I, I hope everybody enjoys the show. It was kind of a last minute thing. Tim had reached out to us a couple of days ago and said, "Hey, do you want to collab on Sunday?" And for us, it was a debate about do we record a show with Tim about the Grand Prix and then do another ourselves afterwards, or do we just share the original show? So the decision was that if we came back and we're tired and we're rehashing the same subject matter again, it would be doing this audience a, a bit of a disservice and you deserve better. So we're going to post that. And then of course, we'll be back to our normal routine this coming Thursday. We'll be dropping our regularly weekly show. We have a ton of listener questions and mailbag that I've been promising that we would be getting to some since the summer break. So I promise you, if you've been waiting to hear your question, we're hoping to deliver it on Thursday. But aside from that, Mark, I don't know if you agree, but I thought the show with Tim was fantastic. And I think, uh, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. Yeah, me too. And I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to doing what uh, what we always do. Looking forward to getting to, to those mailbag uh, questions, and, uh, and 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 getting back to what we've what we've typically kind of built up to be our, our regular program. So, anyways, uh, without further ado, we're going to hand it over to uh, Tim Haraney and uh, the TSN Racing Pod. Hope you guys enjoy. Of course, if uh, you want to get in touch with us, by all means, do so at Scootery F1 Pod on Twitter. Any comments uh, always welcome there as well via email at Scootery F1 Pod gmail.com take it away mr haraney welcome to the tsn racing pod everyone i'm your host tim haraney if you want more racing pod you can get it at tsn.ca slash tsn dash racing dash pod if you want more from me you can get me on twitter instagram tiktok at tim haraney big show tonight we're taping this on a sunday evening following the italian grand prix what was a wild race and here to help me break it all down are the boys from the Scuderia F1 podcast, Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton. What's going on, Marks? <laughs> well, hey, Tim, a question. How many hours do we have to break this, uh, this race down? I feel we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> we go as long as we want, buddy. As long as we want. I got <laughs> I three gigabytes on my computer now. I got three gigabytes <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what a perfect... So for starters, thank you for having us on. We, we saw the invite a couple of days ago, incredibly excited. For those of you that don't know, we've done some really great work with Tim. He came on our show during the summer, did a really great F1 2022 primer, one of the best received episodes we've ever done. We, I think we've done some stuff going back even to the beginning of 2020 pre-pandemic, but man, you couldn't have invited us on for a better show. <laughs> so we're super excited to be here. <laughs> this like fell, this was just perfect, right? It just fell at the right time with the right race and we got extremely lucky with this one um so without further ado let's just jump right in uh first time at you know monza since 2019 they had fans uh with a 50 percent capacity i believe and you can tell by the roar of the crowd that it was it felt like more than a 50 percent 50 percent capacity yeah, it was great to see. I mean, uh, Monza is one of those great F1 tracks. I mean, with the Tifosi there, it's always a great atmosphere, especially, I mean, you go back to 2019 when Charles won that race, bending off both of the Mercedes for the entire race. That was an epic Grand Prix. Last year was a great race as well for, you know, similar mayhem to what we saw today, but it was bizarre in the middle of the pandemic and nobody there. And today was a little bit more normal. 
And when we saw the incident unfold, which we're going to get to, obviously, I mean, that place just lit up. I mean, you could hear it clearly through the TV and all those people that were sitting down by the chicane. I'm sure they had all their phones out. <laughs> we're taking lots of pictures. It was it was incredible. I'll just I'll just add as well, because we talked about this a little bit earlier this week on Twitter. But thank goodness we have Italy in the middle of a pandemic. Thank goodness we have a country with three FIA grade one circuits that we can lean into. And incredibly, this is, I think now the fifth time we've raced a Formula One Grand Prix in that country in a little over a year, but this is really the first meaningful time to, to Tim's point that we've had fans. And even if it was 50% capacity, the, the atmosphere was absolutely palpable. And it was great to see. Yeah. It was nothing like uh Zanver where we saw, you know, last weekend, but it was still p- pretty good. I, I like how they were getting the DJ out for this one and trying to get the fans all hyped up. That's a little bit new, I think, for uh, for Monza. I don't ever remember them having like a big DJ to try and get everybody amped up because I think they're probably learning from how successful so true. the Netherlands were, right? Well, I, I think if you have Chesto at the uh, at the Grand Prix and also have him <laughs> waving the like the checkered flag, I think you're you're almost bound to do something. So, I mean, the Italians have style; they know how to throw a party. So, I'm sure they took a couple, made a couple of notes after Zandvoort last week for sure. All right, let's dive right in head first. And obviously, you know, we have to start with with the incident between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And guys, I mean, first off, let's uh, see where we're going to assess blame. Because there's been a lot of that going on lately, especially online, on Twitter. It's fun. You should check it out. It's interesting. It's an interesting space. So, uh, Mark H., let's start with you. Uh, I was afraid you were going to go there. So, my, my, opinion, my opinion continues to evolve. And I have to be careful as well because going back three, four, five months, Mark and I were plastered with this title of being Red Bull homers. And, and it, was, it seemed a little bit unfair, but every week we get these messages like, I'm going to stop following you. You guys are too pro Red Bull. You're too pro Horner. Silverstone comes around and that narrative completely shifts, which is you guys are so pro <laughs> Lewis, you're so pro total, you're so team LH. But I, I was kind of of the mind after this one that you, you kind of have to take the outcome, which is ultimately, and we'll talk about the halo a little bit later. The outcome ultimately was they both DNF. You have Max's car sitting on top of Lewis's car with the actual contact itself. You have to kind of look at those two things in, in isolation. And to me, I look at this, I review it, and then I kind of, in my head, kind of tried to flash back to the last couple of years of Formula One. And ultimately, I don't know that what Max did here was particularly egregious. And I would have been cool if this was left as a racing incident. And we can talk about the findings of the stewards who ultimately argued that, hey, look, we are going to assess blame here. We're going to assess the three-place grid penalty because ultimately he wasn't alongside him. He had no right to make that move. But ultimately, I would have been comfortable with this as a racing incident because I don't want to be in a position where we're discouraging drivers from making that move. Now, that said, we've seen incidents even this year. If you flash back to T4 at Imola on the opening lap in the wet, if you look at Barcelona, we've seen very similar instances this year where Hamilton was in the opposite position and he ultimately backed off and gave that space to Max. So for Max to suggest, hey, I didn't have enough space. He squeezed me. He pushed me onto the curbs. Seems a little bit hypocritical. I'm cool with the penalty. I would have been equally as cool if they'd left this as a racing incident. But it's good to see that we're starting to see maybe a little bit of consistency from the stewards. But I'm dying to hear where you guys kind of fell on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up uh, here if you don't mind, uh, Tim. But yeah, I, much like Mark, my my opinion over the day has kind of evolved. I thought at the at the time it was 
maybe 50-50. I thought maybe that that Lewis pinched him a little bit, but I've I've gone back and I've watched the replay and all the different uh, angles of it multiple, multiple, multiple times. At- to really try and understand it as best I can. Unfortunately, no one camera seemed to capture the whole the whole thing in one shot. So you kind of have to watch it multiple times to really get a good feel of it. But I mean, let's not forget that Max was only in that position because he had a horrible pit stop of, I think it was 11 or 11 and a half seconds that dropped him that far back. But anyways, Lewis went in, went for his pit stop and he's coming out. And of course, he's got to stay within that white line coming back onto the track after exiting the pit lane before he can come and really pull back onto the racing line. But the thing was, he was far enough ahead of Max. And I guess Max's thought at that time was if I maybe go a little bit deep into this corner, I can edge in front of him into the corner and take the racing line away from him. And Lewis, obviously, he was further ahead when he, you know, they came to the corner. Obviously, he was on the line. And Max, I think he just missed, uh, misjudged it. Much like Mark, I think you could have gone either way with it. But I think just based on the fact of what we saw at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago, that uh, the stewards exactly. ultimately decided to go with, uh, you know, a three place or the, the penalty with uh, Lewis, I think that they did the same thing. And I think that just from a consistency point of view, I think it was uh, it, it was the right call. I would have been fine either way. But um, I, I'm kind of glad that, you know, after complaining earlier in the year about uh, different things from the stewards at this time, that that there was consistency at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make, uh, Mark, because that's one of the things that was really going to bug me if something hadn't have gotten done in the stewards room following the race on Sunday, because I like to see consistency from the stewards. And I feel in the past, we've never really truly had that. And now we're kind of getting it, which is good. It's good to see. Absolutely. it's kind of like now you need to think about it like the harshness of the penalty. Like, was three places enough? Should it have been more? You know what I mean? So, we have to start thinking about, I mean, those things as well. I think one or two, like a two place grid penalty or something like that, would have been good. I would have been good with that. Three, I feel, is just a little bit too harsh. You know, if we look back at, what happened with Verstappen and Lewis in Silverstone, you know, Lewis ended up getting what? A 10 second penalty, time penalty, right? And he still went on to get points, lots of points. And Max ended up being slammed with a 50, whatever it was, it was like a 50 plus G impact or something like that yeah, along those lines. Right. And then Lewis just gets 10 second penalty, right? So for this one, I don't know. I just feel that it uh, was a little bit too harsh. I think three was probably too much. Uh, I put the blame on Verstappen. I, I, I do only. Mm-hmm. Actually, I shouldn't say it to like that, but, but there's there's plenty of blame to go around between both drivers, and both drivers do have a role to play in what's happening out on the racetrack at all times. Could Lewis have given him a little bit more room heading into turn one? Yes. Did Lewis give him enough room heading into turn two? Yes, because he missed the apex. Could Max have pulled out of it heading into turn two? Yes, he could have easily, right? You have left foot brake, right foot gas. These things stop on a dime. Max sees a sausage curb coming. All he needs to do is tap on that brake real quick, concede the corner to Lewis, and then try and get him in the second chicane. 
Yeah. Which is probably what he should have done at the end of the day, because at the end of it, you're fighting for championship. And this could have been a race that Max might have been able to win or at least beat Lewis and just widen that points gap just a tiny bit more, right? Because we have to remember, Max is going to have to take an engine penalty at some point. Now he's got slapped with this grid penalty. So he's probably going to end up taking this engine penalty in Russia, I assume. You're going to lose points to Lewis. You're going to a track now in Russia that Mercedes has always dominated at. They've always been great there. Yep. And now Lewis is probably, well, not probably, I shouldn't get hype, you know, I shouldn't get ahead of myself on this one, but he has a very good chance of taking a championship lead coming out of Russia. Instead, Max decides, I'm going to stuff one down the inside here. I'm going to hit this sausage curb, which I, he knows he's going to hit. And he knows, like, just how severe those sausage curbs are. If you did the track walk, you know it. He's raced on this track for many years. I've raced on that track. I know how aggressive those, those curbs are. And you know you can't hit them. You just can't. It damages the car. So at the end of the day, I think that, I think that just Max just was a little bit too aggressive, guys. I, I, I really do just feel that. I don't know. Like, what do you think? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I totally agree. I think the stage for this was actually set on on the opening lap going into the second chicane when they basically were side by side. Lewis tried to make a, you know, tried to put a move on Max there and Max, he was ahead going into that corner. And Lewis immediately on the radio saying, oh, he squeezed me, which I thought was a bit of BS. But I th- I thought that that's, that, uh, that little incident there, even though it didn't amount to anything, it reminded me, I thought it was very 2018 going back to, to Lewis and Sebastian Vettel at that very same corner, except in that race, uh, Vettel like went off the track. And that had uh, in, in that year, that had very big implications for the championship as well. Tim, I have to ask you a question. This is one of the reasons that I, I love having conversations with you because obviously Daly and I, we've been watching and we've been passionate about the sport for decades and combined, we've watched hundreds of Grand Prix. You have a different perspective because you've been in that open wheel racing car and you can relate to some of these situations in a way that we can't. From your perspective, if you were in Max's position, knowing what those curbs look like, do you lift? Do you give Hamilton room? If you're Hamilton, do you give him a little bit more space and push to the outside? Like from your position, if you're in each of those situations, how do you how do you react? And then on top of that, how should the FIA have called this? Did they call it correctly? Because I think prior to maybe the last few incidents, it's kind of hit or miss. Like, you know what? Sometimes you don't have the space. You're not aligned. We're going to let it go. It's going to be a racing incident. And daily, you made that great point earlier, which is the value here is that they call the penalty on Hamilton at Silverstone for doing something similar. Although you could argue he was farther aside 
farther aside Verstappen than Verstappen was Lewis here. But Tim, from your perspective, how do you react in each of those situations and how should the FIA call a penalty in a situation like this? Yeah, I think um, starting with the FIA, I mean, like we were saying off the top, it's good that they're being consistent, right? I think that's the one thing that drivers get so frustrated with is when the consistency really does fall by the wayside where it's like, okay, if you're going to give a guy a penalty for that, you better do it again if it happens again later on. Because if you're not doing it, then then drivers tend to lose confidence in what race control, the FIA do, and then they start worrying about their safety a little bit too. And then you start getting pushback from the GPDA and then it turns into a bit of it starts snowballing. So at the end of the day, it's, I'm glad that the race officials were consistent. I'm glad they did hand out a penalty at the end of the day. Now, as a driver, if you're battling for a championship and if I'm Max Verstappen, I'm pulling out of that. I'm not I'm not going to try and stuff it down the inside, crash the car, right. cost more money. You're already getting close to the threshold of the salary cap at the same time. You're going to have to take an engine penalty somewhere as well. And all of these things just add up. Like it's just, it adds up at the end of the season. And this is why, you know, Lewis is such a genius tactician. He is like a freaking surgeon when it comes to the season, right? He slices and dices you as this season kind of goes along. And then after summer break, he really hits you hard. And that's kind of like what we're starting to see a bit here with this race that we just saw today in Italy. So you have to be careful when you're going up against a seven-time world champion. This guy is seven-time world champion. He's one of the greatest Formula One drivers of all time. You can't be thinking about selfish reasons at that moment in the race you have to think logically right you have to take emotion out of it yes you had whatever it was an 11 second pit stop big deal get back out on track move your ass and make the time up right now if i'm lewis and i'm coming down into this corner i probably would have squeezed max a little bit going in just to let him know like hey you're not going to get the corner that easy right at the same time once we get to the second apex, I'm probably starting to think like I need to give this guy a bit more room because if I feel him, I feel because Lewis may not have seen him at that moment. And I know like the analysts on Sky Sports and everything are like, yeah, yeah, like he can see him in the mirror. He knows he's there or whatever. I'm like, sometimes you can't. Like sometimes the only thing that lets you know, you can just feel the other driver there. You can feel something's beside you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that that's kind of like what Lewis was feeling in that moment. It was just like, yeah, he's still he's still there. He's still around. I don't know how much room I need to give him, but he's still kind of there. So I'll give him a tiny bit of space, which he does because he misses the apex completely. I probably would have done the same as what is what Lewis did. For sure. You know, Tim, one question I had for you from like, uh, again, from a driver's standpoint is just how wide is the track at that quarter? Because it's it's not a 90 degree turn. It's more like 110, maybe 120 degrees. I mean, they're really turning back on themselves and then turning again to the left is the it, I guess my question is, do you think that maybe that that track is too narrow for these Formula One cars? I mean, with such a drastic angle? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, I, I think so. I think going into like, Cause I've raced there. I mean like turn one and two, that first chicane is extremely tight. It's, it's, it's so tight. And, and like the TV just doesn't really do it justice of how kind of narrow it is. And it's extremely hard. And we've seen it before guys trying to get two got two cars side by side through there. It never works out. It, it never <laughs> works out. It just doesn't. Not right. unless, right. not unless you're going to make sure the wheels are placed at the right angles 
on the car. Both of you can kind of dance your way through it without touching, which seldom happens. It's extremely tight right there. What they yeah. probably should have done, and I was thinking about this at the start of the race weekend, was move the DRS, move the DRS back. Like the DRS wasn't starting until halfway down the front straightaway. Like why isn't it starting as soon as they get out of uh, Parabolica? Like why mm-hmm. is it not starting there? Like, that makes zero sense. Like, and then the same point. Why is there no DRS heading into Parabolica, right? I understand that you need the brakes to activate the DRS and those guys aren't really braking heading into Parabolica, but like having a DRS there will put some emphasis on them having having to brake a little bit and that might open some opportunity for some more passing in there as well. Like it's just, it doesn't make sense. Like it, Mm -hmm. I, I was so blown away by that and we probably would have seen more on-track action, and we'll get to the sprint race later, but we probably would have seen more on-track action if they had done you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's some great insight. One last thing I'll add as well, and, and this is such a great topic, but what I've seen from, I think what we've all seen from Max the last couple of years is he's aggressive, Tim, like you said, yeah. and even if there isn't space, oftentimes he'll dive into those corners knowing that another driver is going to back off, is going to give him space, and he's got the opportunity to take the corner. What Max did today is very similar to what Lewis regularly did to Nico in 2014 and 2015. 20- 15. And I remember at the time, everyone's screaming, Nico, hold your line. And it really wasn't until 2016 when he started holding his line. And all of a sudden, the two of them kept coming together, just mm-hmm. like in Spain, which is probably one of the kind of intra-team <laughs> crashes that none of us will ever forget. <laughs> no. Where was the other one? The other one was in uh, the Red Bull ring. Yes. When, yep. when Lewis was uh, Lewis, Lewis was on a fresh set of tires, it was the last lap, and he hunted down Rosberg. Rosberg was leading. And <laughs> I don't know what the hell Nico was thinking. Like, he was going I, into turn three there, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah but right it was at the like, top. I, I put that one on him. Like, I, that was his fault. Like, what are you doing? Give the just for give sure, it, give it to him because he's he's quicker than you are at this point. He's got better tires. Like what are you supposed to do? And at the same time, he's trying to lead a championship, right? Takes himself out of the race. I think like what did Lewis like three wheeled it around the cor- around the course and finished like whatever it was second or third or something like that. It was ridiculous uh, anyways, but yeah, good, good old racing stories. But Christian Horner had some stories at the end of the race with a racing. He's calling this a racing incident. Um, yeah, I think both, I think, all of us agree that we, well, I don't think it was a racing incident. I think Max probably could have avoided it for sure. And Christian Horner has done such a great job this off season, particularly off the track with off track politics. Don't you think guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is, and this is something, no, I was just going to say, this is something we've, and let me, I'm going to back this up and share a little bit of a personal story today. So watching the Grand Prix, it starts at 6 a.m. Pacific time. My my philosophy today was, look, I'll get up. I'll watch the cuff, first couple of laps. If it looks like it's settling in, I'm going back to bed. I'll get it up at <laughs> eight and I'll watch it on the app from the start. And it was kind of exciting from the beginning. And the fact that there was an unexpected leader early on was something that kept me, kept me tuned in. But I actually went to the washroom at one point. And when I came back, I glanced at my screen and Max's car was perched on top of Lewis Hamilton's car. And the first thing that came to my mind was 
the fallout, the two weeks of fallout after Silverstone. And it was to your point, it was the politics, it was the charade, it was the public statements. And, and you're right, he's been very tactical and very aggressive. But I just, I couldn't stomach the idea of another two weeks of that leading up to Russia. And oh, I think when I heard his comments saying, hey, it was a racing incident, I'm like, aha, he's conceding. He's conceding fault and he's conceding error here in a way that he absolutely won't wasn't willing to do at Silverstone. And I think he was willing to concede it was a racing incident because he probably recognized that that Max was probably a little bit more at fault, but this is the most generous concession of that you're probably going to get out of him. But you're right. The way that he plays the media and the statements and the propaganda PR machine that kind of spools up to kind of steal a turbo metaphor that spools up on the Red Bull side is very interesting. And it's been in full force this year. Yeah. He's very good at choosing his words and twisting the narrative to, to, fit what he's trying to say absolutely we um i was on a zoom call with uh, total wolf following the race and i liked his analogy of the tactical foul but yeah. one of the things that he did say that i found quite interesting was that if these two don't figure out a way of racing against each other then this will just keep happening. And it'll mm -hmm. get to the point where someone will get, and I'm paraphrasing this end part, but it's at some point where one of them is going to get hurt. Yeah. Because these cars are moving way faster than we've ever seen them before, right, Mark? Well, I mean, yeah, going back to what you said earlier, Tim, about the, the incident, uh, the accident at uh, Silverstone several weeks ago, I mean, Max and that 51G crash or whatever, totaling the car, and then today, Lewis, uh, you know, getting, you know, I mean, the halo saved him. I mean, the, without the halo, Lewis would be in really, really bad shape tonight. I mean, you see all those uh, still pictures that have been cir uh, circulating after the Grand Prix of Lewis's head being smashed forward as Max's right rear tire hits him on the back of the helmet. I mean, it's just scary, scary stuff. And 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 that's the thing, right? If they don't find a way to race together and 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 and, and draw the line somewhere, then at some point, I mean, the, the law of averages is going to catch up and somebody's going to get seriously, seriously hurt. And, Wait, and that scares me. That where really scares do things me. change? Because I, I agree with everything both of you are saying. We're, the, the, the concern is that if this continues on, there's going to be a crash and somebody's not going to walk away. They're going to have to be carted away because they're injured. They're hurt. But if mm -hmm. you flash back two and a half months, everything people were talking about was look how much professional courtesy they're showing. Max has matured. He's not making those dive bomb efforts into corners. He's not being egregious with his decision-making. It was so funny that for the first eight or nine races of the season, they're showing each other respect. Max has matured in a way that we maybe didn't expect to see this year. Mm -hmm. And then ever since maybe Great Britain, maybe Austria, in fact, that whole dynamics changed. And maybe it's because the championship tightened up. Maybe it's because half of the calendar had moved away. But Tim, like Mark, what, what changed that we went from a world where it was rainbows and unicorns and pony and candy to nuclear warfare between these two teams and these two drivers? Well, I, I'm going to defer to the former, like the, the, the professional race driver here. I'm going to let Tim <laughs> take this one. <laughs> I, think, uh, I, I think Silverstone is maybe an example of where I think things started to change because, right. you know, uh, Mark H, like you brought up some great points with Imola, Spain, where Lewis conceded, right? And he gave those, he gave that right. position up 
only to know that, hey, I got to live, live to fight another day. It's here. a marathon. It's a marathon. And one of the things that Lewis has been saying since, oh boy, he's been saying the exact same thing for the last few years is that you always have to give Max space. You have to always <laughs> leave him the space. And that's one of the only drivers he's ever said that about. And I find that really, really interesting because to me, that makes it seem like he is extremely aggressive and you have no clue what you're going to get from this guy. And so coming into Silverstone, the two of them on that opening lap, Max was, it's fair to say, and I see if we all agree on this, in that opening lap at Silverstone, do you guys all agree that Max was being pretty friggin' aggressive? Yeah, yeah no I, question. I think that's no a question. fair comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for Lewis, he'd had enough. And heading towards whatever it was, uh, cops, I think he was like, the hell with this i'm gonna stuff yeah. this i'm gonna stuff this in here and i'm gonna see what happens because i've had enough of this crap and it was just enough things happened at the right moment the right time lewis was going to be assertive and aggressive at that moment as well and it kind of backfired <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah right yeah but at the same time max wasn't giving him the space so is there a lesson to be learned for max in that moment I mean, maybe I think I, I've never really seen Lewis be too aggressive with other drivers when out on the racetrack. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I've never really seen him be. Oh, I think he's fair. Like, he's fairly fair when it comes to racing wheel to wheel. Yeah, and like, I think I like what you're saying. And I think with Max, no, it's, it's kind of just like I've had, I've had enough. Like, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I think what you're saying and what you're not saying, what you're not saying is we liked and that what Hamilton was trying to do was stuff, stuff Max into the wall. That's not what he was trying to do. But no. to your earlier point, there've been a couple incidents this year where Lewis decided to give him space, but I think it got to the point in the championship in Great Britain, especially with how aggressive Max was being on that first lap where Lewis is like, I have to make a statement sooner or later. I need to make a statement to him that he can't run me off the track and he's not going to dominate the racing line in every single corner. This is going to be a championship and we're going to fight for a chip. I've got to be a little bit more aggressive. And I think that was a statement moment. And I think there was some shock and awe from the Red Bull team that he had mm. done that because I think Max is accustomed to people giving him space. They know he's aggressive. They know he's not going to back off. They don't want the consequences of contact, which you spoke to earlier, which is the cost, potential injury, having to kind of burn through your engine or your exhaust allocation, whatever the case may be. And I think Lewis made a statement and obviously it wasn't the statement he intended to make. It ended up being far more dramatic, but I think that's exactly right. You, he just drew a line in the sand and said, I have to make a statement now or, or never. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Max at this point has to, to realize that if you're going to dish it out, you should expect to have it come back and you know, come back at you at some point as well. Right. I mean, some guys might not be as ag- aggressive or, or willing to, you know, stick their nose in there. But I mean, if you're Lewis Hamilton, you know, why not? You know, it's like, do you have to sit back and, and take this from this guy? And I wonder if at some point or another, either Toto and Christian somehow start chatting with each other about we need to get these two into a room and just have them sort out how they're going to race each other because it's costing us a ton of money. And it's going to keep costing mm. them money. Like there are, like, like I was saying, yeah. like I believe what happens once they start going over the salary cap threshold, they have a limit of, I believe, don't quote me on it. It's like 
3.5 to 4 million buffer over it that they can go. But they have to request it to be an exemption for mm. special circumstances. And so once the damage starts piling up here for both of these teams, you know, you, you, have, to make a de- you have to make a decision. Like, how aggressive are we going to be moving forward? Because we need to save some money so we can focus on the 2022 car, right? And so if you're racking up cars, you're never going to be able to produce the 2022 car you want. And you might go over that threshold of the, of the salary cap. And so they're going to have to talk. Like, I, I just think they're going to have to sit down and figure out how they're going to race each other or else we're just going to keep seeing this over and over again. Cause neither one of these guys are going to, you know, give, give way or give up or back down. Right. I mean, like obviously mm-hmm. Lucas is going for his eighth world championship and, it's just, it's not going to happen. And Max is trying to score his, uh, his first. And, you know, thankfully we had the halo today. Um, because guys, I don't, I, I don't know if we didn't have the halo today, I, I think we might be talking about something else. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you, Tim. I mean, I, I, I don't mind saying that when it, it sort of was floated out there a couple of years ago that they wanted to see it in formula and I wasn't too keen on it, but you know, I mean, it was pretty well, proven in short order that it was the right thing to do at the right time. And, you know, just, uh, you know, my own selfish reasons or, you know, uh, I guess aesthetic preferences, uh, you know, was, was my, my main, I guess, reason behind the stance that I had, but I mean, I'm glad that they introduced it. I mean, it was proven right away. What with Charles Leclerc and Fernando at spa that year, when they had their, uh, you know, coming together at La Source and, you know, we saw all the tire marks on helmets and, and, and the halo and everything like that. And it, it's proven to, you know, that, that it has literally been a lifesaver in several circumstances or instances since and today as well. And I mean, like you say, Tim, I mean, if they didn't have it. There, there's a very good chance that we were talking about something extremely horrible this evening. Mark, I like that term you use as well, aesthetic preference, because I felt the same way. I I remember the FIA Formula One, they started talking about this pre-Liberty. This was something that was being discussed Mm -hmm. long before Liberty came into the picture. Uh, I remember seeing in person a Halo being tested on a 2016 spec car during the 2016 season in person. I just like, that is horrendous. And in my mind, I just didn't like it because I didn't like the look. And I started, I started trying to rationalize my distaste for it by saying, well, <laughs> it's not going to be good for the drivers. It's going to hurt their already limited visibility. Um, of course, there was a bit of an exemption and they, they didn't land it in time for the 17th season. And of course, they introduced it in 2018 to a, a little bit of fanfare. But ultimately, I think we can very confidently say, and I'm known to use a lot of hyperbole and to exaggerate, but I don't think there's any question that it saved Grosjean's life last year in Bahrain. I don't think there's any question it saved his life. You look at the photos of that crash scene and it saved his life. You just look at the way it pushed that fencing, that barricade out of the way. And even today, it was it was less the fact that you had Max's rear wheel sitting on top of the halo, but it was the seconds before that where the halo pushes apart the floor and the engine cover and the side pod on Mark Max's car. Like that just peels away because it comes into contact with the halo. If the halo's not there, that's Lewis's head. And I think Tim's right. We're having a very different conversation today. And we would be talking about the future of this sport and whether it had a future because mm-hmm. of what we've seen today. And I know that there's some reporting that came out within the last hour or so. It's saying even with the halo, and I'm not saying we need to improve it because I think it's really great, but Hey, it sounds like Lewis has started experiencing some neck issues. He might go and see a specialist. There's a lot of pain there, which is just the right thing to do. And if you're Mercedes, you need to protect your asset, your people capital, but 
thank goodness we had the halo today for the second time in a year. So mm-hmm. I mentioned that uh, specialist part on uh, Sports Center this afternoon because I was on a Zoom with Lewis, and so because wow. we were like we were talking about this, and he was telling you're us, scooping Tim Scoop. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like where the I was, I was gonna say, like, where the hell did you read this, Hamilton? <laughs> 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 no, he was. Uh, we were on the we were on the Zoom with him, and he was explaining that uh, once sort of the adrenaline wore off, he started to feel uh, more pain in the neck, and it started to get actually uh, tighter because he's never had a race car, you know, land on top of his head in all the years that he's right. raced. Right, he's never really had that happen. And he was mentioning that he was going to see a specialist um before russia so he could just make sure that everything was okay and he was going to get the all clear to go ahead and, and race in, in in russia which is actually a smart thing to do i mean at the end of the day like neck injuries in f1 or they happen quite often and some of these drivers i mean me myself uh, in particular has had some and they, they kind of just happen and you don't really know and so to get yourself checked out is is probably the the right move and yeah i think i think lewis will be okay but at the end of the day it's a smart move by him you know we want to prolong that career of his um so ricardo it's been a while guys 2018 his last win right and redemption return of the shoey yeah there's redemption (laughs) day there's redemption day in monaco Back in 2018, and there was a redemption yep. day in McLaren. So, I mean, what did you guys think about this? I was absolutely stoked when he Daily. the finish line. You yeah. first. You know, regardless if um, Max and Lewis didn't finish this race, I think that there was going to be a good chance that one or both McLarens were going to finish on that podium regardless. I was shocked, guys, honestly, that neither Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen had it any answer i mean i know lewis had a couple of goes at lando and had a little bit of success there but max could just not make an impression on danny ricardo and i was absolutely speechless when i saw the speed that they had and i was just so pumped i thought it was a great story and you know as great as i thought it was to see ricardo win this one i have to admit that if any either of one of the uh, mclaren drivers won a race uh, this year i thought it would have been lando just based on the fact that danny struggled in the car a little bit he he just didn't look good in last couple of races and lando's been the guy in form but it was it was awesome to see a one two and i mean just the the emotion on the pit wall at the at the checkered flag and just hugs and high fives and just uh you know just the like the the the, the, the pure joy. I mean, this is a long time coming for a once great team that fell on really, really hard times. I mean, you go back to the Honda era with like Fernando just, you know, five, six years ago. I mean, I was wondering, you know, is there any way back for this team? So they've recovered really well. I think Zach Brown has done a phenomenal job appointing p- key people in the right positions and then just letting them get down to work and then assembling a pretty strong driver lineup, not just this year, but even last year with uh, Land on Carla Science. Half jokingly, I tweeted out earlier today that I was going to spend the next six hours going back and editing our last six months of podcasts to remove <laughs> all the Daniel Ricardo slander. But <laughs> my, my goodness, it was it was 
absolutely thrilling to watch. It was an amazing feel-good story. And I think what was really special about this is, and let me just clarify, a Grand Prix win is a Grand Prix win. It doesn't matter how it happens. A GP win is a GP win. It is a monumental achievement for the driver and a team. And I think sometimes we take it for granted simply because we've seen certain drivers win over and over and over again. But I think what was really special about this one is he surges out into the front of the pack on the first lap. And there's nothing to me to suggest he wasn't going to hold that regardless of what happened with Lewis and Max when they came together. So I thought that was fantastic. And it's really, really, really amazing because I I remember going back to Monaco and I remember that was the lap where he was, um, I think he was lapped or that was the race he was lapped by his teammate Lando Norris. But I remember him being interviewed and, and he'd said at that time and he was beaten down and he was defeated. But he made this comment that really struck with me, which is Lando had been sharing his telemetry and his data. And he was openly admitting it's like, I don't understand how he's breaking so late going into the corners. And I don't understand how he's carrying so much speed into those corners. Like I'm an accomplished formula one racer. I've won Grand Prix. I've, I've raced with multiple teams, multiple power units, multiple um, drive trains. And I just, I can't put it together. And I was worried and I was, I felt he was going to start putting together a better campaign. I didn't necessarily anticipate that he was going to win a race, but I just didn't believe deep down that over the course of the winter break, he could forget how to drive a formula one car that maybe this was that, Hey, I'm adjusting to a new team, a new culture, a new chassis. And for the first time in his life, he was driving a Mercedes powered car because previously with Renault and with Red Bull, it had always been that Renault power unit that he's kind of consistently familiar with, but an amazing feel-good story, not just for him, Norris's best finish ever, and for the entire team McLaren, fantastic story, and it's something that I think I will remember for a very, very long time. Yeah, me too. I think, uh, you know, one of the more telling things for me is when, you know, Ricardo said, deep down, I never lost faith or or belief. Well, he may have never lost faith or belief, but I know 100% he lost confidence. Had to. Absolutely. And I had to have, because I know, like you just said, when he had issues trying to match Lando Norris on the brake pedal, that was a definite sign to me because Ricardo is like Lewis Hamilton. He's one of the best late breakers in the sport that we have right now. And so if he can't figure that part of it out, I know there's something going on there and it's not, (laughs) it's not good. There were times this season where he was a second and more off the pace of Lando Norris. And that's a disaster, guys. That's an absolute disaster. It's not like it's two tenths or three or maybe half a tenth. That's over a second, which is a lifetime for these guys as professional Formula One drivers. So leaving Red Bull, I think going to Renault, struggling in 2019, having a decent 2020 decides to leave Renault, then you switch over to another new team in McLaren. You have a whole other process that people don't really understand of learning mechanics, getting comfortable with the crew, and then trying to get comfortable with the race car that you're not comfortable with and trying to meet your teammates' driving style, which is extremely hard to do. It's very hard to do that. For Daniel Ricciardo to do what he did today, that's a legit win. Like this mm-hmm. was legit. Like it wasn't like he got handed a victory. He he went out and he won this race. 
And for all of the people out there, and I'm not saying you guys, but for everyone else who's out there saying that, you know, questioning Daniel Ricardo's talent, I, I think today he just told everybody to shut the hell up. And he went out there and got this win, which is absolutely incredible. This was an awesome day for him. I think it's great for the team because it feels like they never lost confidence in him. Even though when you get a driver like this who has that much talent, but then you see how far they've been off the pace of their teammate, teams tend to lose confidence in the other drivers, right, guys? Like we've seen this before in the past. This isn't a new story where teams start losing faith in their, in their driver and then the next season they're gone. Right. Mm -hmm. we've, we've seen it a ton, tons of times. So for Ricardo, I'm, I'm happy for him that he was able to bounce back and get this victory because it was well, well deserved. And the podium celebrations, I don't know about you guys, but I, I absolutely loved them. I, I can watch Zach Brown chug shoeys all day. <laughs> yeah, he's now one of, I, I guess, an elite club member that if like a drank out of uh, daddy ricardo's racing boots you know but uh yeah you know it's great it, it really is good to see ricardo like hopefully this i mean it's a big moment to win any grand prix but especially at one of the classics like monza and to do it in the way that he did because i'll, I'll be honest with you guys i i thought at the start i fully expected both hamilton and and verstappen to legit pull away from these guys uh, both Lando and both Ricardo, but it was completely the opposite. And the thing was, okay, they're not really holding them up, uh, at least not too much. And I mean, they they seem pretty pacey. And it was just, uh, it was a question after a while. It's like, yeah, I think if they can stay in front of Lewis and Max, that uh, that these guys are going to stick in there. They've, they've got something to say. And, uh, you know, to just to build on that, I hope that this is uh, for, for Danny Ricardo, obviously kind of struggling throughout the year and, you know, kind of have been in a little bit in no man's land the last, I guess, two and a half years that maybe this is the race, maybe this is the weekend that he finds his mojo and becomes Danny Ricardo again, because mm. they got something good going on at uh, McLaren, despite um, uh, Andreas Seidel and Zach Brown saying they still got work to do, which obviously you would expect. But I think uh, the, the bigger picture is, I think, going down the stretch here over the last uh, eight races to come, this Ferrari-McLaren battle in the constructors, I think is going to be pretty juicy because, you look know, like, uh, Charles and Carlos finished uh, fourth and sixth. I mean, decent amount of points. So it keeps the the constructors gap to i think about 15 points or less between the two of them so it's going to be good fun watching it over the next uh, two and a half months or so daily you made such a good point earlier as well kind of referencing back and i i think a lot of tim's listeners are pretty accomplished formula one fans so they're probably familiar with the fact that that this team mclaren went through a bit of a dark spell if you flash back five mm -hmm. or six years you have that really unsuccessful short-term marriage with Honda. You had the whole fiasco and falling out with Ron Dennis when he was being forcefully extracted from that team. But really that dark period is much longer than that because you have to flash back to 07, the whole Spygate situation with Ferrari, the fact that they were effectively the Mercedes works team. And that relationship broke down so badly that Mercedes just went off like, you know what, we're done with you. We're just going to buy our own team. It got to the point, of course, where they wouldn't even supply McLaren with power units. McLaren was forced to go to Honda. That didn't work out. So so it feels like for really the first time in 
maybe eight, nine, 10 years, they're in a really great place. And I have a question for both of you, because I'd love to know where you attribute that, that credit. Is it Zach Brown? Is it um, Seidel? But I just think as well that from a marketing perspective, if you work for McLaren and you're responsible with going out and forging sponsorships and marketing collaborations, this team, forget the money that the windfall that could potentially come through the constructors championship. This has to be one of the most valuable IPs in the sport right now. If you look at the prominence of McLaren gear online. They're following the collaborations they're doing with streetwear manufacturers. This team is, is absolutely skyrocketing from a trajectory perspective. I'm talking both from a branding perspective and a culture perspective, but Mark, Tim, what was the turning point for this team? Was it, was it personnel? Was it the power unit decision? How do we go from that dark spell with Alonzo five or six years ago to where we are now? I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to throw it to Tim. So I'm going to say that I'm going to put a lot of this at, uh, you know, uh, with Zach Brown and what he's done to build this team. But I'm going to put this to Tim. Maybe you've got to some some more insight and context that you can lend this. But do you think that perhaps the the results that we've seen at McLaren and the work that Zach has done is perhaps that he's a bit of an, an outsider? I mean, obviously, he's got a long oh, history in motorsport, but perhaps the fact that he's not, you know, quote unquote, uh, F1 guy and he kind of came in from a different sort of parallel, you know, road in motorsport, if you want to call it that? There were opportunities when, you know, Zach could have gone and, and worked uh, for Formula One. The McLaren gig that, that did come up for him, he ended up going with that over other opportunities that, in my mind, I thought he probably should have taken at the time because McLaren was nowhere to be found. And why would you want to try and almost resurrected a, a dying team and it seemed like a lot of work and it just didn't really make a lot of sense to me and then you had that honda partnership like you guys were saying that really failed miserably mm -hmm. i think once that happened i think it's at that moment that zach decided to just take control of this team's destiny by going out getting andreas seidel who ran the Porsche LMP1 uh, program to a, a ton of success, like a ton of success, and has that experience of building, building a team and building a team uh, that wins. And a lot of these things, most of the time, the success starts off of the racetrack. You know, like we've seen with basketball teams, if the front office is not good and it's very fragmented the team is not going to be any good at all either that's on the floor it's the same thing with racing if if your team is not gelled together and you don't have a legit leader who's willing to toe the line and do what needs to be done to put people in the proper places or let people go you're not going to have success having andreas seidel i think come in has been huge for this team because ever since he did uh, come into McLaren, they've started to have a, a lot of success. And I think Zach kind of maybe taking un unlocking the leash from Andreas Seidel and just saying, you're team principal, go and do whatever you want to do. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I'll handle the business aspect, the marketing side of things. I'll take care of our shareholders. I'll deal with all that. You take care of the cars, the drivers, uh, the teams, getting 
uh, the technical side of this thing nailed down. Get us back into the fight, and I'll take care of the rest. And I'll keep you safe, and I'll keep everyone else away from you so you can just focus and do your job. I think Zach Brown doing that is what turn is is what's really turned this uh, this McLaren team around for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, very much like uh, Hamilton said. I mean, it really was a long and slow and steady decline that they went through before they really hit uh, rock bottom. And Tim, I love that comparison with the uh, with with the uh, the NBA because you're talking to two basketball fans that lived experience the Vancouver Grizzlies experiment <laughs> up close so we, we can vouch firsthand yes. how a bad front <laughs> office and management can ruin the chemistry of a team so no nothing further to say on that front yeah and I'm a big Raptors fan so like okay hey, you know I, I get it I love basketball too um, <laughs> another driver who is out there who did a great job today and scored their best uh, results of the season actually ever in Formula One is Lando Norris he was fantastic today guys fantastic yeah i i don't really have anything more to say about lando i think it's well known at least on our podcast that i'm a big lando fanboy i mean i i think for for me like lando's big statement was a couple of years ago in, in france at paul ricard when i think he picked up like a hydraulic issue like within five or ten laps from the end of the race and he basically manhandled that car like all the way around to either just finish in the points or maybe just uh, missed it and I, I thought okay this guy he seems for real and I think he's just uh, gotten better and better and better and I mean just watching him especially in the sprint race on Saturday just uh, having Lewis behind him the whole time and not being phased by it I was just uh, really impressed and I've just uh, every time I watch uh, Lando out there I, I just uh, I, I really love what he's doing and I, I think it's going to be exciting to watch him develop and watch him as his career moves forward. Lando's right now, just for a little bit of context, because I'm always big on context, sitting on 132 points. He only scored 97 all of last year. And of course, last year was a bit of a truncated season, but he's now only nine points behind Valtteri Bottas for third in the driver's championship, which is, which is absolutely incredible. And I think he brings value in a couple of ways. One, he's demonstrated that he's a great teammate. We saw the relationship with him and Carlos. I think the relationship with him and Ricardo has, it's not been poor, but I think Ricardo, I don't think he's been in his element and I don't think he's been himself. He struggled with confidence as Tim suggested a couple of minutes ago. I think that's going to change really, really effectively right now. But I also just think that from a marketing perspective, he speaks to the younger demographic. He's accessible. He's on Twitch. He's a gamer. He's got a social media team built around him. He is the perfect asset that you would build a team around and to then be able to compliment him with a charismatic driver um, and somebody with the personality like Daniel Ricardo is fantastic, but he is a very real chance of finishing third in the driver's championship this year. And what's even more exciting about this is if you look forward to next year and you look at the gains that McLaren's made, there, there's no reason to assume that Red Bull's success and Mercedes success will carry over next year, simply because everyone's effectively starting over. You're going to carry over the power unit, but everything else is going to be new. And if I'm going into that new era and I can build my team around any specific driver, I'm not so sure it's necessarily going to be Max. Maybe it's Lando. If I'm starting a new team today, maybe that young driver for me, it's maybe Charles, maybe Lando, but Lando has been phenomenal. And we talked earlier this summer as well about, Hey, who's going to be that next young driver that breaks through and scores a scores, a champ or scores a podium or a scores a, a race win. My money was on Lando. He didn't get it today. 
but it's going to come. And it maybe it happens this year because they're just putting together some really great performances. And Tim, to your point, organically, that team is gelling culturally. They're good, but also just from an execution perspective, their arrow decisions seem to be reliably good. Their pit stops are good. Everything just seems to be working right now. You know what else is working? Or who else was working today? It was Valtteri Bottas because he had his work cut out for him, guys. He started all the way in the back, taking a penalty, uh, new oh, power wow. unit, taking penalty of whatever it was, 20 grid spots, I believe mm-hmm. it was. Like, absolutely ridiculous. But this guy had his work cut out for him today, and he came off a big win during the sprint race on Saturday. Honestly, even if, you know, Max and Lewis, you know, did or didn't crash out, I never expected him to at least crack the top five let alone get a podium i know uh, you know bottas i think is uh, doing some very interesting things i think that he's making a real statement just uh, hey you know i might not be uh, continued in formula one with the best team but you know i'm still a good driver i'm going to you know, he's hooking up with uh, frederick vassar where he had some successes earlier in his career before formula one so who knows what they're going to try and do with that with, with that um, project but i think he's just making a bit of a statement to that uh, to to everybody out there in the formula one world that you know i'm better than a lot of people give me credit for and i've been you know, quite impressed what he's done the last uh, couple of weeks i i thought it was kind of interesting last week in zanfort when he was told to back off up that uh, fastest lap even though lewis got it uh, eventually but he still set the fastest lap i think two laps uh, from the end I thought that was kind of interesting too. I don't know if that was a, a bit of a, you know, flipping off the pit wall or something with a bit of tension there, or just he, he backed off and just he had so much speed and momentum that he still nabbed it. But I think that um, I, I think he'll leave a good legacy when he leaves uh, Mercedes at the end of the season. I think that uh, finally he's getting a multi-year deal, which he really deserves. I mean, obviously he wasn't the guy to be like the long-term solution to be the number one driver at Mercedes going forward. But I think it was a great week. Weekend for him, I think he was. Uh, I think he was impressive. I think that's the only word for it. I completely agree, and I like your point too about his <laughs> legacy. I think if you look at the press on Bottas the past three or four or five years, it's never been particularly generous. It's been very, very critical. It's been very abrasive. But I think if you're if you're Total Wolf and you're honest, he's done everything you could possibly have asked him to do, which is for sure you. You've, You've let him let Lewis through to win his titles, and he's done more than enough to help you secure four or five constructors championships. And I think he's doing almost enough this year, or he's doing enough this year to potentially help you score another one. And to your point, Mark, as well, what I saw from them this weekend was relaxed approach that I haven't seen from him in a long time. And mm, if you look at him in the point. interviews this weekend, his voice, his tone, his cadence, it was, it was relaxed. He, he was flowing. He felt comfortable. And typically when he's been interviewed over the past 6, 12, 18 months, they're tight, short, frustrated responses. But today he was psychologically, mentally in a different place. And I think what we saw in qualifying and what we saw during the sprint qualifying session was a driver who's just in a totally different state of mind. To your point, he now has security. Maybe it's not with Mercedes, but he's got two years of security up ahead. And I think he's just in a really great place. And mistakenly today as well, I've made a comment to my wife about the fact that, well, look, a lot of his pace today is based on the fact that he has a fresh power unit. And her point was like, well, he didn't have that power unit during sprint qualifying or qualifying. I'm like, that's a, that's a great point. He was carrying this pace 
all weekend. So it was a bit of, we talk about redemption for Ricardo, a bit of mini redemption for Bottas. And I know he hasn't scored a race win this year and, and maybe he doesn't, but I think this was the performance that he needed to put out there just to remind people that I am a perfectly capable world-class Formula One Formula One driver. And I was very, very happy for him to be on that podium. Um, and I'm excited to see what he can do for the rest of the season, given the fact that he's now got this peace of mind because he has a two-year commitment with the team for 2022 and 2023. Yeah, A, a driver that I uh, think who's had a bit of a struggle over the past few races is, is Carlos Sainz and Ferrari hasn't brought their new power unit upgrade, which apparently is supposed to be pretty spectacular, but we'll see what happens with Ferrari once it gets to the racetrack. <laughs> But as for Carlos Sainz, um, I, I don't know, guys. He's he's uh, he hasn't had a very positive past few races. Has had a lot of crash damage and really silly incidents. It's not like he's even, you know, binning these cars while on the limit. And so I have to wonder what's going on there because. I feel that you know Carlos up to this uh, up to the summer break had had a pretty positive experience yep. at Ferrari, but now it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it. it just feels like things are going the wrong way for him. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, over the past uh, you know since we came back from the summer break, there it, it seems like he's lost his way a little bit. It's, it's like the, the break came at the, the the wrong moment, and for whatever reason, he's just you know up top uh, mentally struggling to get it in gear again. Mark, what do you think? I agree. And you have to be careful because if you simply look at the race classifications uh, year to date, sometimes they can be misleading, right? Like a 10th or a seventh place finish might look good on paper, but when you actually look at the times and the delta between him and the drivers in front of himself, there's a lot more there. And Tim, you're absolutely right. Like he finishes the first half on an absolute high. He finishes with a podium finish in Hungary, his second of the year. We had conversations all summer about, is he going to score a race win first, or is it going to be Lando Norris? And the momentum that Lando had built up in the first half of the season, with the exception, maybe a Belgium and a softer performance at Nether and at Zandvoort, which I think is more attributed to the aero setup of the car. I, I think Lando's in a very different hemisphere. And one of the predictions that I had very boldly made during the summer break was that we were going to see, especially with that forthcoming Ferrari power unit upgrade, we were going to see a surge from Ferrari and they were going to leave McLaren in the dust when it came to the constructors championship. I don't know that I necessarily feel that way anymore. Now you've got this 10, 15 point gap between the two of the two teams in McLaren's favor. They leapt over Ferrari with their performance today. So I don't necessarily know what's going on with signs. I know Leclerc was happy with his performance today, but I'd be a little bit more concerned about signs and try to get an understanding of what's changed in his racecraft from the first half of the season to the second taking a look at the sprint qualifying um i put a poll out on my twitter on saturday following the event and it did quite well but the poll questions were what do you think of these f1 sprint race and it was love it it's okay meh i hate it and hmm. guess guess which one was the leading vote getter? Meh. Meh. <laughs> F1's trying to do this for the fans. Well, the fans are, are telling you something, right? And I think that this sprint race qualifying, whatever the hell they want to call it, 
I think if they're going to want to have success with it, I think they need to start thinking about putting it racetracks where drivers can actually pass. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it was. I, I understand that maybe, uh, and, and you know, Mark's come coined, kind of coined the term of having majors at certain Grand Prix. And you can understand why you do it at a track like Monza or a track like Silverstone, because they're the classics. They've been on the calendar forever. But Silverstone, obviously, there's more opportunities to pass, whereas we didn't really see very much passing all weekend at, uh, at Monza. So maybe, like you say, maybe you try to find if you're going to do it three, four or five times a year, whatever it is, that try and put it at tracks where we're going to see some more passing. I don't maybe Austria is one of them where, you know, there's more opportunities and we see passing going to turn three or whatever it might be. Right. So, yeah, I, I must admit that this one kind of snuck up on me. I knew in the back of my mind for weeks and weeks and weeks that we were going to see a sprint qualifying. I actually kind of spaced out on it the last week or so just with other things catching up. And when Mark reminded me, he's like, oh, hey, we got sprint qualifying come up, uh, coming up this weekend. I was going to like, oh, yeah, wow, this is great. And then I have to admit that I enjoyed it, but I, I felt afterwards that I really left with a sense of wanting more. Like, I, I really didn't feel kind of like blown away, uh, away by it. I was like, okay, well, we had a safety car during spring qualifying because Pierre went off and they had to pull him out of the gravel and everything like that. So that was kind of interesting, but I don't think that's the kind of main talking point I want to go away from this. So a lot of work to be done in my opinion. Look, I, I give Liberty credit for being flexible and trying new things. They, they don't want to be the major league baseball of the motorsport world. They, they want to try new things, but make no mistake. And this isn't designed to be a criticism. The whole concept of sprint qualifying is to inject more financial value into Liberty. If you look, if you look at 2019, so 2019 was the last full season that they raced prior to the pandemic. Formula One earned about $2 billion. At least that's what they filed with the Securities and Exchanges Commission in the US. Of that $2 billion, about $600 million came from TV money. $600 million came from race sanctioning fees. So by, by introducing this concept, you can potentially increase both of those pies because if I'm Liberty, I'm in a position right now where it's going to prove more and more difficult to earn incremental revenue, especially if you're already at a race calendar of 23 races. Maybe you go to 25, which I know is allowed by the Concord Agreement, but this whole concept is designed to increase value because now we can go to the race sanctioning teams and say, hey, if you want to host a Formula One race, you can do it for $30 million, or I can give you a major, quote unquote major, with sprint qualifying for 35. And then you can go to your TV network partners and say, look, nobody's tuning in to watch practice on Friday, but now you get qualified on Friday that everyone's tuning into, plus you get sprint qualifying. So I like what they're trying to do. I think what's worn on me is this concept of sprint qualifying. Call it what it is. It's a race. Have qualifying on Friday. Let that set the stage for the race on Saturday and the race on Sunday. Do away with this nonsensical sprint qualifying session. That's, that's what's bothering me about this. To me, the three events, and some of our listeners had made the point that, well, you want to kind of weave a narrative between the three of them. But to me, I don't necessarily like that narrative. And if you're going to do a session on the Saturday, just be honest, it's a sprint race, call it a sprint race, throw some extra championship points out there, make it a little bit more meaningful. But to me, I like that they're trying something new. I just think there's some work to do here and they need to massage it a little bit more. Like yeah, Total, I agree. Like Total Wolf said, it's not fish, not meat. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So Russian Grand Prix is coming up in two weeks' time. Um, and this is a race that's been absolutely dominated by Mercedes, like we had said previously in the show. 
since 2014, it's Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, Valtteri Bottas, Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas. So coming into to Russia, if Max ends up taking an engine penalty, I mean, guys, this is going to this is going to be domination by Mercedes. This this whole this whole Russian Grand Prix weekend. Yeah, it's it's hard to go against history when you look at those stats, right? It's just like until somebody else comes and proves otherwise, I I just can't find myself. I can't bring myself to to, to bet against Mercedes on this one. They've just been too good there for too long, and I, I just don't see it changing. I mean. If this season's been anything, though, and it's been a lot of things, like when we reflect back on 2021, there's going to be a lot of talking points and a lot of things oh, yeah. to unpack. But if this season's been anything, it's been unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So you're right, Tim. Like we have every reason to think, especially since Bottas has got that fresh power unit, especially since it's a track that's designed to cater to the way that those cars are set up from a power unit perspective, a narrow perspective. There's every reason to think that they should be successful. I don't know that they necessarily will be, but again, if I was putting my money on anybody, I would think that you're probably going to see two Mercedes drivers on the podium. And to your earlier point, Mercedes desperately needs Russia to get themselves back into this driver's championship. And it really, in a lot of ways, is Lewis's saving grace at this perspective. And I assure you that coming out of the summer break, Mercedes had Russia circled on the calendar because they had to know that going into Zandvoort and Belgium and Italy, they probably weren't going to win two. They definitely weren't going to win three. But if they could come out of those three races within within a stone's throw of Max in that driver's title, they'd have a shot. And Russia gives them that shot that not just to get closer to your point, Tim, but it gives them a chance to leapfrog potentially max in the driver's championship and build on their constructor. So mm-hmm. I think my money would probably be on seeing a couple of Mercedes cars on that podium, but we've seen some surprises this year. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was very different. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, and like Mark Daly said, you know, you can't argue with history and statistics. I mean, it's just you just can't, right? So I think coming into Russia, this is the Mercedes race to lose. Like I was saying, coming into the Italian Grand Prix, I felt that that was also Mercedes' race uh, to lose. Coming up, we have seven, maybe eight Grand Prix left on the calendar. We have Russia, then Turkey, then the USGP, then Mexico, then Brazil, and then we have we have one in November that's a TBA, which I believe is going to be Qatar. They just haven't announced it. It'll be a night race from right. uh, what I've learned. Um, and then you have Saudi Arabia and then finishing everything off at Abu Dhabi at that new circuit, which Mark Hamilton, you are going to. That sounds awesome, by the way. And do you guys think, though, that they're going to be able to finish off this calendar with the way, I mean, things have been going? <laughs> Yeah, that is the $64,000 question, right? And I think I I couldn't help but wondering if uh, perhaps that was maybe a lingering thought in, you know, what happened uh, today in Monza, just, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, time is running out. We have seven confirmed, probably eight, but then maybe we lose, maybe, maybe we lose some of these races just because of the pandemic, you know, that we, we just don't know. And I think that, um, you know, just to go back and build on your point just now about, uh, you know, Russia, Tim, is it's the right time uh, or the right place at the right time for, for Lewis and uh, for, for Mercedes. I mean, it is just, uh, you know, somewhere that they've always run really, really well. And I mean, points are always at a premium, but now this year, even more so because we just don't know how many races that we have left, but 
it will be interesting. I mean, looking forward to all these uh, races coming up, except for maybe uh, the, the the Russian Grand Prix. Saudi is obviously <laughs> an unknown. The redesigned and rebuilt uh, Yas Marina circuit is going to be awesome. I mean, um, the U.S. Grand Prix is always usually pretty interesting. I, I love that, uh, you know, turn up into turn one. Uh, Turkey was uh, great to see on the on the, on the calendar last year from a bit of a nostalgic uh, point of view. So it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun going down the stretch here. And yeah, especially when I think now we're starting to see it on the constructor side. Mercedes is starting to pull away from Red Bull and the constructors. And if Lewis can have a good weekend in Russia, then we might start seeing like some good indicators of where the season is going to end up finally. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that we're at a point right now where we look at this calendar and there's seven races kind of locked in, maybe eight, because I think, Tim, you're right. I'm confident we'll see a race in uh, Qatar at LaSalle. I think, though, that even if we shed another race, for instance, let's say we lose Brazil, which I think is probably the race that we're most at risk of losing. Mm -hmm. It's not particularly difficult for Formula One to slide another race into Bahrain because you're already going to be in that region. Bahrain is a 30-minute flight from Qatar. It's a 30-minute flight away from the UAE and Abu Dhabi, and it's ultimately an hour away from Jeddah. It's also, and this is something that I didn't realize until recently, Jeddah was never supposed to join the calendar until 2022. It was an insurance policy that Formula One put on the calendar this year in the event that they started losing races. So they actually went to the race organizers and said, hey, how quickly can you finish construction on the corners and get this track done? Can you do it for December? And they're like, well, make it happen. Uh, But ultimately, that was itself an insurance policy. And ultimately, it was a smart thing. So maybe we end up where we see three or four races in the Gulf region to conclude the season. But again, Ultimately, we don't know how many races are left. And I think every championship point might be worth 1.2, 1.5 points in the grand scheme of yep. things, because we could very well lose. We could lose Turkey. We could lose Brazil. And I don't want to speculate too much. I don't think we're going to lose CODA simply because I think for political reasons that the U.S., the Texas government wants to keep that one on the calendar. But yeah. I think we could lose a race somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, I- yeah, sorry, Tim. I was just going to say that uh, I, I fully agree with Mark. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that we don't. I was just uh, as you guys were chatting, I just looked at some of the uh, pandemic f- figures and the the case uh, counts are actually dropping in Brazil. So we're not going to be there for you know until the middle of November. So hopefully, fingers crossed that that trend continues and we're able to, to, to hold the race there. But certainly as, as Hamilton was saying that uh, there are options in the middle east, uh, middle east at uh, Sakir, we you know. Um, Qatar seems like that's the name that's been thrown out there the, the 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 most. So that would make logistically the most sense. And you know, I, I kind of as much as I'm interested to see that race in Qatar, I actually really kind of enjoyed racing on that outer yes. circuit in in Bahrain last mm-hmm. year. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, me too. And I hope that's something that uh, does come back. Right. I'm excited to see Qatar though. I'm excited to see that circuit, and I'm excited to see what they've done uh, in Abu Dhabi with the new track layout. Uh, that will be there for Formula One when they get there this season. And I'm really stoked for that one because that is a race that has put me to sleep for (laughs) quite a long time. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Quickly, just want to touch on the F1 Fantasy. So for the Racing Pod Fantasy Challenge, top five. We've had a change at the top, but Lando's squad has taken over the lead. And second place from Canada is Racing Pointless. From Indonesia, it's F1 team Tim Principal. Uh, and fourth from the Philippines, it's Speedy Racing Team. And from Canada, it's Connor Team 1. That is rounding out the top five. Remember, there's a prize that is being given away 
for the winner of the racing pod. Marks, thanks very much for coming on the show, guys. Really appreciate it. You have fun? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, really loved awesome. it. It's always good uh, good uh, talking with you, Tim. <laughs> and uh, we love uh, your insight and your your experience as a racing driver. Always uh, adds a, a different level uh, to the conversation. We really appreciate it yeah, uh, you know, coming on tonight. I just want to say thank you so much, man. Whenever we've had you on our show, Show. the feedback is always phenomenal you bring a perspective that none of us neither of us or any of our other guests can bring simply because you've got both the media side you've got the on-track experience so uh when you dropped us a message a couple of days ago and said uh would you like to join it was obviously a no-brainer and we were ecstatic to be here yeah i love chatting with you guys man it's always a good time so hey uh mark daly tell them what you guys have got going on so uh, we currently uh, drop a, a weekly show. You can search us up in uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you download and enjoy your podcast. Just uh, search us up, uh, Scuderia F1 Pod, just like a Ferrari. And uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're pretty active over there. And that's at Scootery F1 Pod. And uh, we have a, a weekly show drops every Thursday night or Friday morning. If you're in uh, Europe or the, you know, because drops quite late on uh, Pacific uh, time. And then uh, also we recap uh, the show or the, the races every Sunday night. And if not, then we usually do kind of a casual after hours kind of laid back show on Monday nights as well. Go through the mailbag. And so we're, 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 we're putting out a fair amount of content. Let's put it that way. And Mark Hamilton, you guys have been doing uh, Twitter Spaces lately. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, this, the Spaces sessions on Twitter have been phenomenal. Uh, we, we've had a couple sessions where we've had close to 100 people trying to break down the doors and get in there. Sometimes it's a little bit more casual and it's kind of a, more of a core group of people, but it's really given us the opportunity to get to know our audience. And what I would say, and this goes back to a conversation you and I had two years ago, is the audience is new to Formula One. They're incredible incredibly excited they're incredibly hungry they soak up everything they're looking for information and i think we've kind of coined the term generation drive to survive or generation dts and that represents a big chunk of our audience and we love it and we're just trying to help nurture and help encourage their passion for formula one but i'll never forget a comment that you made two years ago which was hey this this sudden surge of new fans is awesome F1 just better not lose them. And by that, you mean they've got to change the product. They've got to keep it exciting and they've got to create parody. And I think we're inching closer and closer to that with the 2022 regs. Can you tell the listeners where they can go to get more of Twitter spaces from both you and, and Mark Taylor? Yeah, so typically what we'll do is we'll host our Spaces sessions on Thursday nights. We typically record at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll typically light up our Spaces sessions somewhere around 6.30 to 7. So all you have to do is follow us on Twitter. You'll get the notification right away. We open it up to everybody so everyone has the opportunity to talk. We try to make it as inclusive and inviting as possible. No fighting, no bickering, no criticisms. It's fun. It's light. It's informational. But we'll typically light up the sessions around 6 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. Usually run them for a couple of hours uh we've done a couple on race day as well but typically we try to keep a uniform structure but yeah just follow us on twitter you'll get the notifications about the spaces sessions and we think it's a lot of fun and i think our listeners feedback has suggested they believe it is as well and for those listening out there if you want more from mark daly you can get them at mark daly f1 and if you want more from mark hamilton it's at mark in van city guys thanks again for coming on really do appreciate it check out their podcast scuderia f1 
podcast, guys. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. And for all of you out there listening, if you want more TSN Racing Pod, you can get it at tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more from me, you can get me on social media at Tim Horaney. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you all soon.